0: at first it was just one sheep per day but as the deadly dragon grew more powerful he demanded more and more soon it was the people of silene themselves so intense was his insatiable hunger his desperate desire for more and more until until one day a courageous knight named george agrees to confront the dragon After a long and bloody battle, George finally defeats the cruel beast, saves the princess, and rescues the town. With what weapon did George slay the dragon? A spear? A lance? A sword? Maybe, just maybe, the dragon was slain by love. Welcome to Slain by Love, your weekly sermon podcast from the pulpit of St. George's Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas.
1: In the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Y'all, please be seated and good morning. morning. When you were a little kid, what was your favorite game? Dodgeball, tag, capture the flag? Now, that question might sound familiar because I opened up my sermon three Sundays ago on the second Sunday after Epiphany with that question, but the games, the games, the kind of game that I have in mind this morning isn't like those. The kind of game that I have this morning is a little bit different. Do you remember going on really long road trips? Really long road trips when you were a little kid with maybe mom and dad, maybe your parents, maybe siblings. Do you remember those super long road trips? and how boring they could be, how they seem to drag on and on and on. If you're like me, then you played games, not dodgeball, not tag. You played other games, like mm, 20 Questions, like Two Truths and a Lie, or the Opposite Game. Now, that was my favorite. I freaking loved the opposite game. And by the way, I was really good at it. What's the opposite of up? What's the opposite of nice? What is the opposite of a yellow traffic light? And that, dear friends, brings me to my main question for us this morning. The question is this. What is the opposite of freedom? Freedom. Let's play the opposite game. What is the opposite of freedom? We heard about freedom last Sunday, last Sunday when Jesus liberated that man in bondage to the unclean spirit in the synagogue in Capernaum. What did Jesus do for that man? He restored his freedom. Freedom is what our lessons are about this morning, today, however, as well. In the psalm, for example, the psalm this morning, Psalm 147, do you know what, for the psalm, for the psalmist, do you know what the opposite of freedom is? One little word, exile. That's the big concern of the psalmist this morning, exile. The Lord gathers the exiles of Israel, verse 2. Psalm 147 is a celebration of freedom, freedom from exile, exile in Babylon. It's a celebration that that exile, the Babylonian exile, is finally over. By the way, I'm sure that you remember the Babylonian exile, right? It began in the year 586 BCE when King Nebuchadnezzar's army sacked and destroyed the temple at Jerusalem. You can read all about it in the Old Testament books of 2nd Kings, 2nd Chronicles, Jeremiah. It lasted until 538 BCE when Persian King Cyrus allowed the people to return. Psalm 47, 147, Psalm 147 celebrates that. The Lord's restoration of the people to the land. That he has brought them home from exile in Babylon; that their exile is over; that finally, once again, they have what? Freedom, freedom. And our Old Testament lesson this morning from Psalm, uh, from Isaiah 40, that we just heard. August read Isaiah 40. It's the very same. Biblical scholars will tell you that. This chapter, chapter 40 of Isaiah, it's the great turning point of the entire book of Isaiah. In the first 39 chapters of Isaiah, all we hear about is exile, warnings of exile, threats of exile, the pain of exile. But not here in chapter 40. Here in chapter 40, we celebrate freedom. We celebrate the gift of freedom. Chapter 40, which begins with that great refrain that we heard a few Sundays ago in Advent, comfort, comfort ye my people, cry out to Jerusalem that her term has been served, her penalty has been paid. Do you see freedom? Freedom from exile. Freedom for the people in their land. Freedom in their homeland. Homeland, I want you mentally to circle that word homeland. It's an interesting word, homeland. Hebrews 11 speaks of homeland. It talks about how Abraham and the other patriarchs and matriarchs were looking for a homeland, Hebrews 11. What is this homeland? Well, one way to think about it, one way to imagine it, is that this homeland is kind of like the Garden of Eden, that garden homeland out of which humans were exiled long ago, far back into the corridors of history in time immemorial. See, Eden is our original homeland, our original homeland out of which we have been exiled. Speaking of exile, I'm reminded of a pop song. This is slightly embarrassing, but it's, it's a pop song by someone who has been in the news lately. You've been hearing a lot about this person. I refer to none other than Taylor Swift. Her song, Exile, contains these lyrics, quote, you're not my homeland anymore. I'm tempted to sing it, but I'm not. <sighs> I'm so tempted. <laughs> Why don't you sing it? (laughs) You're not my, I'm not going to do it. (laughs) Bokeh just says no. And because she says no, that's why I'm going to do it. (laughs) You're not my homeland anymore. So what am I defending now? You know the rest. You were my town. Now I'm in exile seeing you out. I think I've seen this film before. See, friends, Psalm 147 and Isaiah 40, they both celebrate the end of exile. That exile is finally over. That finally, once again, they have freedom, the freedom of peace, the freedom of peace in their homeland. So back to the opposite game. What is the opposite of freedom? In the Psalm and in Isaiah 40, the answer is clear, exile. Quick side note, quick side note. I want you to think with me about this contrast here in the Old Testament. It is a contrast of freedom versus exile, right? Freedom versus exile. Now this contrast is very physical. And it's literal, is it not? I mean, when the psalmist speaks about exile, he means it quite literally, right? Exile is about physical armies, literal soldiers and armed guards. Exile is about uh, physical shackles and chains used to seize people, to apprehend, detain, imprison victims in very physical prisons behind literal prison bars, right? You see, the freedom, uh, sorry, the, the, the freedom or the bondage of the Old Testament, it's physical. It's literal. It's no metaphor. We're not talking about a spiritual bondage. We're not talking about a spiritual exile. No. The armies and chariots and spears of those Babylonians, they must not be spiritualized away. This freedom and this exile, you see, they're physical. They're literal. They're very, very real. And the contrast between those two things, right? Freedom and exile, that contrast is simple, and it's straightforward. Freedom good, exile bad, right? It's the opposite game. Freedom good, exile bad. Simple, straightforward, plain, and clear. Thank you, Lord, says the Old Testament for delivering us from bondage. Thank you for restoring us to our freedom. And here, dear friends, here endeth the side note. This Old Testament bondage is physical. It's literal. And the contrast between these things, between freedom and exile, the contrast between those is simple and straightforward. And then we come to Paul. And then we come to St. Paul. St. Paul in the New Testament. St. Paul in the Old Testament. Let me ask you, what about St. Paul this morning? Does he talk about freedom? Actually, whenever August was reading the passage from 1 Corinthians 9, I circled the word free three times. For Paul in 1 Corinthians 9, what is the opposite of freedom? I do not see the word exile in that epistle lesson this morning. I do not see the word exile in that epistle lesson this morning. So for Paul, what is the opposite of freedom? That's it. Slavery. Slavery. Verse 19, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a slave to all, says St. Paul. Slavery? Hmm. What is going on here? Pop quiz. Review. Review session. In Isaiah 40, the opposite of freedom was what? Exile. And was exile good or bad? Right. But here in 1 Corinthians, the opposite of freedom is now what? Slavery, right. And is slavery good or bad? Trick question. Trick question. See, in the Old Testament, the bondage is bad. But in Paul's mind, heart, imagination, something weird is going on in Paul's mind, heart, Imagination, something has changed, something has shifted. Paul is choosing his bondage. When August was reading the passage, I circled the word will, W I L L, my will, Paul's will. I circled that word will twice. Paul is choosing his bondage by his own free will. Paul is embracing his bondage, is he not? I mean, verse 19 again, I have made myself a slave. See, for the the psalmist and Isaiah in the Old Testament, bondage is bad, very bad, simply bad, something to be lamented, feared, avoided, rejected, something to be despised, but things are different now. In the Old Testament, the psalmist would never in a million years choose bondage. They would never choose exile, but for Paul, the bondage is different. This bondage of slavery, it's different. For him, this bondage has become something else. For Paul, bondage has been transfigured. What's going on with Paul? I will tell you what. What's going on with St. Paul is paradox. Paradox. Paul has made himself a slave. He's voluntarily entered into slavery. Is he just a masochist? No. He's a paradoxicalist. In St. Paul, the bondage of The the, the chains of bondage have paradoxically been transfigured. They've been transfigured into the balm, the balm of freedom. You see, St. Paul understood something. St. Paul understood something that is not quite so clear in the Old Testament. St. Paul has a heightened consciousness, and St. Paul understood something he understood that we are all slaves to something. You remember the Bob Dylan song, right? We've talked about it before. You're going to serve somebody. The question is not, will you or won't you be a slave? The only question is, what will you be a slave to? To what or to whom will I be a slave? Some folks are slaves to money and wealth others are slaves to pleasure some people are slaves to popularity and fame see the form of slavery the form of slavery the specific form the way it looks in this person or this person's life the specific form varies but the inevitability remains the same let me repeat that the specific form of the slavery varies but the inevitability of slavery remains the same. It remains the same, and it's universal. There's only one form of slavery, St. Paul insists. There's only one form of slavery that actually is freedom. What kind of slavery is this? What kind of slavery is Paul celebrating here in 1 Corinthians 9? Is it the chattel slavery like we find in the American South before the Civil War? Is it the indentured servitude that we read about in ancient Israel? Is it the kind of slave that they practiced, the kind of slavery that they practiced in the Roman Empire? Is it de facto slavery like we have in our culture in the modern West late capitalist economies like our own that systematically resist the obligation to pay workers a living wage? Is that the kind of slavery that Paul is talking about? No. No, it's not. None of those types of slavery are what Paul is embracing here in 1 Corinthians 9. You know why? None of them are paradoxical. All of those forms of slavery are simply and straightforwardly bad. They're like exile in the Old Testament. They're simply and straightforwardly bad. And I'm not going to talk about Ron DeSantis in the Republican primary, who tried to make a little argument that that, that, that slavery in the American South actually gave people job skills. No, no, I'm not. All of those forms of slavery are simply and straightforwardly evil. But Paul's version of slavery is different. His is a slavery of paradox. It is called slavery to Christ. Did you know that in almost all of Paul's letters, he introduces himself and he refers to himself as a slave of Christ? Why does he do this? He tells us why this morning in 1 Corinthians 9 in our epistle lesson today. I do it, he tells us in verse 23, for the sake of the gospel. I do it. I've made myself a slave, he says, for the sake of the gospel. Why does Paul embrace slavery? Why does he voluntarily enlist himself as a slave? He does it for one reason, one little word that pops up in our lesson this morning, that is the word gospel. Gospel, Greek euangelion, or good news. What is this good news? What is this gospel? It is simply this. You are forgiven and you are loved. You are forgiven and you are loved. Forgiven from what? What? Our collect this morning tells us, forgiven of our sins, it says. The word sin pops up in the collect this morning. Our sin, which like chattel slavery, which like the de facto slavery of modern Western capitalist economies, is non-paradoxical and simply evil, period, full stop. Our sin which exiles us from God which evicts us from our home, our homeland in God. Forgiven. This is the good news. This is the gospel. Forgiven how? Forgiven through bondage. Bondage. Not first and foremost our bondage. Not even St. Paul's bondage. In the gospel, we are talking first and foremost about God's bondage. The bondage of God, this gospel that moves St. Paul, it's the truth that, guess what? The one who's bound is God. To what is God bound? He's bound in Christ to the wood of the cross. To whom is God bound? He's bound in Christ to us. And in response, we bind ourselves to God. Therein lies our freedom, our paradoxical freedom. Therein lies our freedom when we bind ourselves to Christ. Therein lies our freedom in our bondage to Christ. What kind of freedom is this? It's the freedom of our homeland. Our exile is over. Finally, we are restored. We are at peace in our homeland. What is this homeland? Better yet, who is this homeland? Like the Taylor Swift song, this homeland is a person. His name is Jesus Christ. In the name of the living God, Father... Son, and Holy Spirit.
0: Thanks for joining us at the pulpit of St. George's Austin, where the love of God in Christ slays our enemies, our fears, our guilt, our worries. How are they slain? Only by love. Special thanks to the good folks of St. George's and especially to that masterful media guru, Liam Dolan Henderson. See you next week peace and be well.